conversation is the only tool we have short of killing each other, to be perfectly blunt. And that conversation, our tool set for conversation has expanded. And we're just a bunch of monkeys who have no idea what the hell we're supposed to be doing or how to communicate in these new ways. If you talk about nuance and conversation, I'm sure somebody could do an actual study on this, but I would venture to guess that there's an exponential six month over six month increase in the amount of nuance that has to go into a particular public conversation and the way it's conducted and had now. Podcast Junkies, episode 259. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Welcome back, one and all. Newcomers, this is a podcast where I interview other podcasters. Super meta, I know, but I love it. We talk to some interesting folks and uh, figure out what's making them tick and why they decided to podcast in the first place. Last week's guest, Jerrica Johnson, shared a great story of the creation of the Black Packing Podcast, how travel has been impacted related to everything that's happening around COVID and all the things she's learned in her entrepreneurial journey. Love Jerrica's energy and we had a really fun conversation, episode 258. This week I speak with Will Conway. He's the host of Baggage Claim. It's a podcast for travel stories that no one tells. Each episode, you'll join Will in recalling some of the most bizarre stories from his travelogue, including the time he accidentally illegally immigrates to Paraguay. In this episode, we talk about his journey as a storyteller and content creator from the written to the spoken word to podcasting. And he talks about the importance of conversation, building community and empathy. We both share our experiences of traveling around the world and how the podcast industry has evolved and interesting insights that Will has about building a loyal audience. And he does some pretty cool stuff that I know you'll enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, full show notes are available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 259. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastjunkies. And yes, I will continue to read those out on this podcast. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, let's get traveling with Will. So Will Conway, host of Baggage Claim, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Thanks for having me, Harry. Great to be here. So we were introduced through our mutual friend, Esprit Devora. Yes, yes. And it speaks to the serendipity of Clubhouse. I think that's what makes it fun for all the the folks knocking it for being a place that marketers have already ruined. (laughs) (laughs) Any cool tool is great until the marketers find it. And then they start creating these crazy rooms that are just trying to make money. But thankfully, if you you look long enough or, or if you've got a good, connection of folks you end up in conversations like we did and uh that's how i found about your show so i I think it's fascinating and i'm wondering what your experience has been so far with clubhouse yeah yeah clubhouse has been first of all a blast but one thing that's interesting is just the demographic makeup of the community there right so you have it started in silicon valley and so I imagine it was Sand Hill Road and Friends for the first 10,000 people. And then it started growing out from there. So you had various business people. 
And so it very much reflects that. So you say like the marketing world dominated at first. Yeah, the number of like tech sales people who are. <laughs> and then you get, obviously, the podcasters discovered it because, of course, we did. Right. And then I think we're just we're recording this at the end of March. We're just getting to what feels like general population. And the whole thing is transforming in a way that feels really cool because I'm excited to see what comes next. But also, I kind of miss like it being this little niche community that not everyone had access to and it felt exclusive. I don't know. I might be kind of a jackass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can still get part of that with the rooms. Yeah. And it's going to be like a long tail effect. It's going to be interesting to see there is this wave of apps and, you know, even this idea of micropayments in mm. terms of like the creator economy. Yeah. And I know you were on the a recent clubhouse we had a couple of days ago with the folks from uh, Lemon Pie, who that was a really, really, I think you were on that one. Were you? Or maybe not. I don't that think so. it was a production company. I'm one of the brands that podcast. I think you might have been on there, but I think it's interesting times for creators in general. And so if you can create a small audience, you don't need to have this big, big following. Right. And I think loyal, passionate followers, listeners, whatever, whatever it is for whatever you do. So I'm wondering if podcast was your first form of creation or if you can tell the origin story there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So no is the short answer. I come to podcasting through writing. So Baggage Claim, the podcast, is these just quick synopsis of what the show is, and then it'll make sense how I got there. So it's it's these immersive 10 to 15 minute long stories, a really close mic and sound design to make you feel like you're in a place with me. And it's a travel show. So it's travel stories no one tells. And each episode sort of tackles one little misadventure from my time exploring South America. I backpacked South America for a long time. And, you know, in the background, you'll have like waves crashing if I'm on the beach or whatever the experience is. And Baggage Claim is actually originally a book that I just completely ripped mm -hmm. apart and turned and in, transformed into something else for a couple of reasons. One, I think the biggest reason was really that it felt like storytelling offers a lot more today than it offered before. There are so many interesting and exciting ways to tell a story in the first place. And like, do we need another eat, pray, love guy goes to South America? But like, it just wasn't. But the idea of this immersive experience where you kind of get, yeah. get this adventure in your ears in this really captivating way felt really powerful to me. And I hadn't experienced anybody else doing that in podcasting. So you have, a ton of audio dramas, which is more where I get my cues from, even though mm -hmm. the, the stories are true. And those are really powerful. Left, right game is still to this day, something I think about like <laughs> twice a day. Yeah. And some of the, those other Q code projects are fantastic. The Q code ones are crazy. The, uh, the spatial Love audio them. stuff is blowing yeah. my mind right now. So that's the next wave. I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I think podcasting in the audio format is just so powerful for thrillers that it's just, I don't know. I love it. And then on the other side of that, you have all these travel podcasts. Some of them are well done, but you get a lot of 10 best beaches in Brazil. You get a lot of 
hey, you went to Brazil. Tell me about that time you spent six months in Manaus and became one with the locals. <laughs> and it's some like Australian guy with like hippie dreadlocks pretending yeah. that he's the most badass guy in the world. Or man I, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I, I like the idea of building a show with two focuses. One, it's completely pre-produced and packaged like a storytelling experience. So it's got the audio drama element. And two, I am the butt of every joke on the show. Like anytime something goes wrong, there are no bad guys except the inside of my own brain, <laughs> which is really, I mean, that's just much more accurate sure, to how life sure. is. So the idea of the show was building a show around this underlying idea of travel helps open you up to other people and become more empathetic and compassionate. And as a result, you feel the need to step up your own game, right? So you become a more authentic human yourself. And that the result of that is that you feel a little more at peace with your own faults, a little more at peace with who you are. I say at some point in the show, I think it's an episode that's coming out in a couple of weeks. I felt empathy for myself, which is not an emotion I knew existed. Like I felt my own experience reflected back at me from my age. Anyway, I don't know if that makes sense. It's difficult. Just uh, on yeah. that thought, was, is there a point when you didn't have empathy for yourself? I think most people, myself very much included, go harder on themselves than they go on most other people. Although these days that might be changing a little bit, not for the better. But yeah, I think I have spent most of my life, the reason for the trip, right, was I got to my late 20s, which I think for a lot of people is this period of time where they're far enough away from the traditional path in life. They're far enough away from formal education, the first job, maybe two or three jobs. And all of a sudden, they just kind of look up and they're in the woods. And they have no idea how they got there. And to make it worse, for the first time in their life, I'll speak from my own experience. For the first time in my life, I get out of bed and like my back hurts, my knees creak. That is an experience that any 40-year-old would be like, come on, jackass. But the first time it happens, you realize you're old. That's kind of terrifying, especially when yeah. you recognize you're not in the right place in life. So I gave up my career. I was engaged to be married mm. and did ended my relationship and booked a one-way ticket to Columbia. Yeah. Where in Columbia did you go? I landed in Cartagena, so that was okay. the start. And then I just slowly moved myself south through Colombia, through to, so you're familiar with Colombia, you start in Cartagena on the northern coast, and then Medellin, and then down through the Amazon into Peru, road trip down the coast of Chile, Argentina, Brazil, the whole nine. It was pretty great. I was an accident in illegal immigrants in Paraguay for <laughs> three days. <laughs> Yeah, my uh, ex-wife is Colombian, so... Oh, very uh, cool. Very cool. You were just traveling by local public transportation, buses, mo like motorcycle? <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, is the answer. But for the most part, buses, the buses in South America are incredible, by the way. Just uh, like first class planes was my experience with these buses. So yeah, the buses are fantastic. Booked a rental car through the coast of Chile, which was pretty outstanding as well. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. What did your closest friends think when you did that? You know, I posed it to them expecting to have myself talked out of the idea. And I got straight yeses, like without unflinching yeses. 
which was a little bizarre because I wasn't quite committed myself, but I said yeah, yeah. it like, oh, it's something I'm going to do. And I was expecting four or five friends to be like, you want to, you have a career and a life and all these things. And nobody did that. They're like, go for it, man. And I was like, ah, shit, now I have to, now I have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> there seemed probably, I would think for most people, there's a bit of uh, living vicariously through you. And then also, yeah. and there's a bit of a relation for me because of the entrepreneurial journey, just thinking about doing things that most people like say they're going to do, but they don't do it. Yeah. And it's like in in the startup world, like people with like these ideas, like, oh, people are going to steal my idea. And then if you do it long enough, you realize, no, they're not. And like, there's people are just inherently like, they don't have, not that they're lazy. Some people are, and they're just, they don't have that drive. So yeah. for you to talk about wanting to travel and, uh, you know, I've been to South America and thankfully I've traveled a bit and been to Brazil as well. So and I'd tell in, in my early 30s as well, which is almost died on that trip. So I can relate to the story you told in your first episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the treading water one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So what, I think, uh, what um, happened? The short answer is I was it's coming back from Atlanta because I lived there. I tried two years to go work with my brother and my half brother in construction. <laughs> it was like of all things. And then I had one way, I had a ticket to uh, Thailand to visit a friend that I'd met years ago in Amsterdam. And I don't know if I've told this story on my show, but I've told it in other podcasts. He picks me up and we go on a hike. We go on a up a cliff and it's, he's on an outlook looking over the, like the valley. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you should come over here. And so I stepped to where he is, but I had to cross a stream. And so I stepped into the stream and I slipped because the rock underneath was super, super slippery. So basically like a Fred Flintstone land on my back and proceed to be carried over the edge of the falls. Like I was like one of those little paper boats you put in like in the yeah. sidewalk stream. Like just literally that's what it felt like. And there was a boulder like on the left bank and I just instinctively stuck up my foot and just stopped myself from going over. And literally, this all happened like within seconds, seconds so fast. And he like pulls me up to the side. He's like white, pale faced. And I was just like, whoa, that was crazy because oh I, I i don't need the worst part is i don't think i would have died because it was like jagged rocks at the bottom i probably would just would have been like in the middle of thailand and like nobody knew where it was my family didn't know and so i, I tell that like later on because i took some speaking classes just like this thought of like when I, I talk a lot about finding your voice like i have a mission to help a million people find their voice and i always think about think back on that moment i'm like man what a shame it would have been if i would have died with my voice inside of me so uh. That's yeah. a powerful sentiment, though. I, I like that. So I'm always like, I can relate to like when people go through, you know, what you experienced. And I don't want to tell the whole story. Maybe you can tell tidbits of it. But I'd like to tease people to go listen because it's a podcast about podcasting to go listen to the episode. But yeah, some, you know, we don't all need to have life changing experiences. But I think had it not been for stepping out of our comfort zones, which probably a minute percentage of the, of the population will ever, ever do, you know, you can probably speak to all the ways your life has opened up as a result of it. Yeah. So just seize the opportunity to tease the episode you're talking about. This first episode is called Treading Water. My show is Baggage Claim. So in the very first episode, I'm off the coast of Colombia in this, this sort of archipelago of islands. And I rented a kayak with a friend of mine who I'd met in Colombia. And in the Rosario Islands, there are these really intricate lagoons that you have to navigate. And on the return trip out from the ocean, we noticed there was a lot of water in our kayak. And it went from normal slosh to unhealthy slosh to underwater very quickly. And what was... was just was, the two of you. 
just the two of us in a place where we hadn't we'd been kayaking for hours since since like mid-morning and uh, we hadn't seen another human being and we're in this maze of lagoons and uh you know kayak tips over i've tipped in kayaks before it felt like a non-issue still having a good day and all of a sudden five minutes turned into 20 turned into an hour we're just treading water and the problem with these lagoons is you can't there's no shoreline there's a lagoon and the lagoon just goes forever and then there's just these sort of papery straw like there's no branches to climb like out reeds. there's no sh- yeah exactly and so you end up in this web of mangroves that you're just tangled in and there's no way to get out so all of a sudden i'm starting to feel my arms go and my legs go and the first episode is essentially a meditation on what starts as this very light and fun exercise and becomes me confronting my own demons and sinking underwater and finding a little new energy and then just getting unbelievably lucky about two minutes before complete muscle failure (laughs) so yeah that episode starts pretty light and easy and gets heavy fast and I just figured that was the best way. Best yeah, way yeah, that's good. And there's, there's more to the story for the yeah. listeners. Well, yeah. So please make sure you check that out. Where did you learn or what inspired you to that form of storytelling? Yeah, so I actually, I really got into creative writing when I was much younger. And it actually, it came from spoken word poetry. So <laughs> another gift from Clubhouse, I've actually met a few of the people who I was inspired by is this guy Reeves who's spoken at Ted a bunch and is very, very talented. Mm. Sarah Kay. There's a whole sort of underground of people who are unbelievably talented spoken word poets. I just went down that YouTube rabbit hole when I was like 15 or 16 years old, started writing constantly and I got pretty good at it and always really identified with being a writer and then career and life got in the way as it does for most writers and with coronavirus and with having quit my job before coronavirus and then coming back into the world as that was as that was starting i rediscovered it basically through writing on, on the book and then as a result of that writing for the podcast which by the way has made me 10 times the writer that actually writing the book made me because okay. when you have to say something into a microphone your sort of douchometer just <laughs> just <laughs> flags for you like that's too literary and says too little like sure, you can't sure. you can't yeah, do yeah. anything with that sentence yeah. like cut it and so when you actually have to speak something out of your mouth it just flags something for me in a way that now on rereading the book there are sentences probably chapters in there i never would have written in quite that way so yeah that was where i came from so the book is out now as well? No, the book is collecting dust on the top okay. shelf while I <laughs> while I tackle baggage claim the podcast, and uh, it needs a little bit of a rewrite. It's still coming out at some point, but not quite yet. And it's going to be the same types of stories that came from the, that inspired the podcast, or something different, or more personal, or yeah. So the book tackles three storylines at once. Okay, one is what I cover in the podcast. The second is I have a background in movement building. So my career was in uh, politics and movement building, really. So for the first couple of years, I was directing on campaigns. And then later on, worked for Nation Builder, which is a software company that underlies 
many huge organizations, nonprofits, campaigns. So the American Heart Association uses Nation Builder for okay. if you sign up on their website or donate or go to one of their fun runs or whatever, mm-hmm. all of that work, that website, all those things are happening on Nation Builder. So okay. I spent a long time in the world of creating movements, which led me down this road of just kind of seeing firsthand how the world has lost empathy through the lens of online movements, right? That's really become obvious in the world in the last year or two, I think. Can can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So Nation Builder works is a nonpartisan organization. It works with folks of all stripes and all political varieties. And then my experience there was when I first joined Nation Builder, I, I came from Republican politics. I'm no longer a Republican, but that's, you know, 2012, that's where I was. But most of my colleagues were former Obama folks. This is when I joined Nation Builders 2015. So they're former Obama people. And uh, I had come from sort of RNC worlds. And there was this sensation of like Switzerland, 1947, kind of like the best political organizing people all in one place. And that it was the coolest, most awesome feeling. And I've watched a lot of those people who I know personally descend a little bit into, not a little bit, pretty aggressively into a hyper-partisan web yeah. that, I, that didn't exist when I first started. And I'm not that old. Like, I'm 30. It's, I'm not that old. And the political landscape that I entered was very different than the one that exists today. And online movements exist now and can be started any moment. And there's no empathy for the core underlying humans. So have a whole conversation about cancel culture, all these things. What feels to me to be entirely absent from modern discourse is that there are human beings trying their best at the center of these things. We should at least acknowledge that and be capable of communicating as people. And then simultaneously went to South America and felt more empathy and understanding for any person that I, than I'd ever <laughs> felt in my life and came back. And I felt like I went one direction the world went the opposite direction while I was yeah. gone. Yeah. And so that really was sort of the core disparity that, that got me writing. Lots to unpack there. Yeah. At the have you been following the, for lack of a better term, meta modern sense making movement? Folks like Jordan Hall, Daniel Schmachtenberger. Yeah, Schmachtenberg, yeah, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, it's been interesting because I'll send you a link afterwards for posts on Medium by the guy named Peter Lindbergh, who founded a group called the Stoa, and it's a discussion of all the sort of like the mimetic tribes, and he okay. lists about ten to fifteen and twenty, you know, maybe, and how they're all sort of like. It's what's leading to all this woke culture, cancel culture, and I think everyone's trying to find their ground, their stake in the ground. And it's just new in terms of rules on how to communicate. There's mm-hmm. something called the Omega rule, which is like something you introduce into a conversation with like a volatile subject. And like it's a ground rule that like everyone's gonna respect each other from like the moment we enter the conversation and with the understanding that there's a lot we probably don't agree on. So just guidelines of that fascinate yeah. me because I think we need a new different a skill set for some of what you're describing and i think just learning how to debate <laughs> used to is not enough anymore because i think it's much more nuanced and just spend a day on twitter and you can see <laughs> what's saying the wrong thing or providing the wrong link can lead to 
so yeah, that's interesting. And I'm wondering how that continues to color or resulted in, in decisions you made once you started leaving Nation Builders. Yeah, I left Nation Builder simply because I was exhausted. Like I, you know, just I'd worked 14 hour days for nearly a decade and had just found myself, you know, you get to sort of muscle failure. I'm pushing the, the bench press bar up. I just felt I was physically incapable of moving another, <laughs> like closing another deal or doing another whatever. And yeah, I've always been drawn into the conversation that you're describing because it's felt what to me is glaringly obvious is that conversation is the only tool we have short of killing each other to be perfectly blunt. And if we don't, and that conversation, our tool set for conversation has expanded and we're just a bunch of monkeys who have no idea what the hell we're supposed to be doing or how to communicate in these new ways. If you talk about nuance and conversation, I'm sure somebody could do an actual study on this, but I would venture to guess that there's an exponential six month over six month increase in the amount of nuance that has to go into a particular public conversation and the way it's conducted and had now this, I have all sorts of tie in reasons for why I'm really excited about clubhouse Yeah, in hopefully bringing back some sense of humanity. And like, maybe somebody misses because not everything is quite as polished as it can be in a place where you can edit and delete and do all sorts of things like Twitter and Instagram. But yeah, my fear is that we're entering a time in which we are handcuffing our ability to have conversation. And I'm hearing more and more people be comfortable with things that we as a generation have never experienced. The idea of war, civil war was not an idea for a whole lot of people very yeah. recently, but we yeah. weren't here for it. Anyway, that's a whole other topic, whole, <laughs> whole deep web. I tell travel stories once like a 10 minute fart joke. So I'm, let's, <laughs> we don't need to go that serious. But. Well, what's interesting is I think when people listen to the podcast, and, and I think maybe I, this is something that I took away, I felt that there was substance behind the host and sort of that's the feeling that came across. And I don't know if that's just maybe from like the tone of your voice or just kind of your pacing or just the deliberate way in which you tell the story. And mm -hmm. I imagine some of that may have come out of the spoken word stuff you were doing. Yeah. So I'm curious, you said spoken word at 16 how were you exposed to that space and what was inspiring you at that time? Yeah, the very first spoken word anything I saw was a guy named Reeves who just does the one word, the Evanescence thing. But uh, I don't know why with Evanescence for that comparison, <laughs> that was weird. There's all sorts of better ones. But <laughs> Pink, like, come on. Yeah. Anyway. What's the one? Oh, oh you mean as in the name? Yeah, yeah, just oh, doing the one yeah. word. Yeah, you just go. It, it depends on the culture. It, for me, it's Madonna Prince. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Artist formerly known as all one word squished together. So, yeah, this guy Reeves did this spoken word poem at the tail end of TED 2006, I want to say. In hindsight, that is a pretty fascinating poem that he put together, but that was the very first poem that I saw. It was called Mockingbird, and he essentially remixed the entire 
TED session in this spoken word poem. So we pulled little snippets from each one, sort of built this larger premise. It was, it was really powerful. And so that then I was like, I think there's something here. There's something more to this. And then discovered this other guy, Shane Coison, who does this, this one called Crickets Have Arthritis. And it's his story being in a hospital bed next to an eight or 10 year old boy who, you know, he never says it outright, but bald scalp sort of emaciated. And he develops this respect for this kid. And it's the most powerful tear. You can't listen to this and not cry. It's, it's beautiful. It's on YouTube somewhere, but it was like a decade ago. Yeah. It's grainy. It's worth it. Yeah. I'll, I'll track them down. We'll put yeah. both links in the show notes. Yeah. But uh, so Shane Coisen is his style is definitely, you'll hear more of him in me than you'll hear of Reeves. But uh, Reeves is definitely the one who he just, he has like a Michael Jordan like status in my head, sort of this, this perennial all star. Anyway, it was on Clubhouse like two weeks ago. Cool. There's a room like 15 people. I went <laughs> up and had a conversation. Then he was like, Do you have anything? You, you want to just like spit? And I went back and pulled 90 seconds from a recent episode of Baggage Claim. He was like, Shit, that was really good. It was like they, Clubhouse is the best thing in the world. If Clubhouse goes under sure, tomorrow, sure. they made my life already. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's been a, a lot of those moments early on. It, they yeah. get harder and harder the more mm. popular it gets. So I think for more niche stuff, like if to your point, spoken word, there's still some threads of topic mm. that if you get in, then you could still have those. Because I had a couple experiences like that in the podcasting space, which I, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. What What is it about spoken word, if you had to think about it, that continues to pull you in it's that you can deliver so there's no i said it before we have nothing other than our ability to communicate with each other that's tying us together that is what our species is capable of that no other is capable of communication at the depth and nuance that we're able to communicate and i think there's something really powerful about making external the internal experience. So what I feel that I do particularly well in the show is really a spoken word element, which is creating a really sensory based experience. So you feel like you're in that place. And that comes from a highly descriptive understanding what it smelled like, what it looked like, what it feel like, what was it like to be in that place? And what was it like to be in my mind in that place? And so creating and pulling somebody into this world where they can deeply empathize with the way that you are, this is going to be a really odd tie-in, but Seth Rogen said in an interview not so long ago that he found that the more specific he made his writing for different movies, the more people were drawn to it. He thought, mm. you know, the idea was if you just say something that feels broad in general, everybody will have a little connective tissue to it. But the reality is there's only like six functions going on inside our heads at any moment in time. So they might not have been in that situation, but they've had that feeling. Sure, and so sure. if you can communicate what is happening for you in a particular moment, people connect with that. They feel it. They sense it. So, yeah, somebody might never have been to Columbia, but they can imagine the, the sensation of looking up and realizing that nobody's coming to save you and you're in a bad position and still the sun is shining and like waves are lapping and birds are circling and everything is normal. And nobody cares. 
you know what I mean? There's this ability to understand what an experience would be like if you're able to get deep enough in somebody's head with it. Yeah, because it taps into a shared common feeling that we have, to your point, you know, those six or seven general feelings, and you can just attribute them because people have experienced what you felt in that first episode and what you're going through and and through the theater of the mind and and the you know the yeah. effects in the water and all that like you felt like you were there with you and it which, which i love you know i have to I have to introduce you to my friend of mine his name is eric Truels. he's got a podcast called e travels with e Truels, and it's the same type of stuff because i nice. helped him produce yeah. produce the show a couple of years ago he lives in awesome. he lives in uh, la but it, yeah it's when told in the way that you tell them it's just really you know you, you're just it, those are best consumed by just closing your eyes and just placing yourself in that situation. Because just even in the trip I referenced, like there was a point where I had to take a ferry from Suratani to Kosamui, and it was an hour long ferry. Like this is like 2004. So I had a, just this flash of like, if this ferry sinks, like nobody like knows where I am. Like nobody, not even my parents. It was I didn't have an iPhone. It was just like yeah. it's just weird. But then it's like to, kind of like maybe this is a little bit to what you're speaking to. But like you're like oh, the insignificance of like <laughs> okay, just another like speck on the blue ball is like you know erased and just right. grand scheme of things, and your mind starts to wander. But it's interesting. And at first, that's terrifying. But the more you dive into it, all of a sudden, it, it's kind of empowering in a weird way that it's honestly, it's one of the things that I think draws people into travel. Certainly one of the things that draws me into travel is the idea of showing up insert city here. We'll, let's get on a flight. You and me, Harry, and we'll go to someplace. Neither of us been let's show up in Sri Lanka. Does anybody in Sri Lanka care about either of us? Do they know anything about where you went to high school, what your ex-girlfriend thinks of you, what you've done in this situation or that situation or that fight you had with your mom over Thanksgiving? Yeah. Nobody cares. Exactly. They care who you're going to be today and who you're going to be tomorrow. That's it. And so and how you treat them. Yeah. And there's so much beauty in that because then you realize you go to your local grocery store and you don't know those people either. So, and they don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something really powerful about that. Just recognizing that you are who you choose to be in this moment, and all the baggage that's weighing you down, everything that you're thinking, and everything that feels like a product of being around this certain connective tissue. This is something I figured out in my trip too. If you don't like the people at a hostel, just go walk across the street. <laughs> so, just shifting gears, I wanted to talk a little bit about the podcast like just inspiration what were you thinking how long you planned it like you know how how much prep work you did and, and just those early days i'm curious about the origin story there yeah yeah i planned it for too long if you're a new podcaster yeah. everything i'm about to say do something close to the opposite <laughs> so this was... very common you'd be surprised like everyone just almost two a podcast hosts they'll tell you they wish they had started earlier yeah, there's no good reason to do what I did for a reason that I think is going to fly in the face of the reason I did it, of the reason I took that long. So I just, I wrote the book that took, I started it two years ago, but I, in earnest, probably eight months to write the book and then started writing the book or ripping the book apart towards the end of that period of time to unpack the podcast. 
recorded three or four episodes that nobody should ever hear for any reason ever. They were terrible. They were like really just sappy and dumb. And I'm glad they don't exist. I ever they're still on my laptop and every once in a while I click to listen. Just it's just the worst. They're gonna have to come out soon and then like a anniversary episode or something like that. So <laughs> they are if anybody sees it, I'm out of podcasting. Like I'm <laughs> never yeah. so I got kind of the complete garbage out of the system. And then I wrote what was supposed to be the sixth episode and is now the first episode. It's Treading Waters. The first time I felt like, okay, I think I got it. Like, I don't know if this is perfect, yeah. but I feel like I turned a corner sure. here. And then, you know, you do all this research online about how to launch a podcast and there's all these notes, be consistent, make sure you have something coming out, regularly scheduled, record a couple in advance. And uh, I told myself I was going to record the entire season the entire first season 30 episodes before i released a single episode and it was because i wanted to be you know it's a it's a story and i had all this artistic we'll make sure that things in the beginning tie in at the end and every metaphor kind of comes full circle there's beauty to that from a writing and literary standpoint but the thing that happens when you put something out is that then you actually get to see how people respond to it right because there's no point of talking into a mic with nobody on the other side, unless maybe there is for somebody, but there isn't for me, right? <laughs> it's about, yeah. it's a, I'm obsessed with that moment of people experiencing what you put into the world. Sure, sure. And so then you start to get feedback and you just press play on Spotify or Apple or whatever for yourself for the first time and hear it coming. I don't know why that's different. But it's different to hear it coming from an official source with your logo and your description. Next <laughs> yeah, to you're, it yeah, in yeah the you're world. official. Yeah. Yeah, it's real. Yeah. Now, you know, it exists. And that experience alone made me like twice as good at the actual craft of doing it. The episode you're talking about, Treading Water, I think from a literary perspective, is one of the better episodes. You probably noticed as listening to it. It is so echoey, I can't listen to it. It's ridiculous yeah. i just didn't know how to sound perfect room i'm saying this to you with the brick wall behind me but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now i full blanket for completely in case i look like the abominable snowman every time i record an episode <laughs> That's funny. Of well i mean there's and, pictures of like alex Bloomberg and yeah what's her name sarah from serial like they'll all to a person will all show them they, they show a picture of themselves especially with covid like everyone was pulling out the blankets and doing the recording there as well so yeah this is by the way incredibly frustrating because my brother is a professional musician who is currently building a recording studio he got like finance of this beautiful state-of-the-art recording studio and i've i'm building a blanket for it up here in montreal <laughs> pain in the ass Anyway, but just little things like that. People, oh, that episode didn't go as well as I thought it would. Oh, people were really drawn to Purple Shirt, which is like the fifth episode. I still think that's a super mediocre episode, but the world thinks that episode kicks ass. I have no idea why. But there, it just little things like mm -hmm. that start to happen once you put it out. You get the feedback and you start editing and improving and coming up with ideas at a pace that I didn't. It was just because the feedback loop is there didn't exist beforehand. So yeah, I spent a short answer to questions. I probably spent eight to 12 months working on it, but also procrastinating. And uh, then it's been out now for about five months. Yeah. What's interesting is that in the trailer, you mentioned that you were going to do it for 28 Tuesdays. Is that still the plan? 
Yeah, yeah. So the the way I wanted to give myself a break is to, was to do it for 28 Tuesdays. So basically break it down by season. Because at a certain point for season two, I have to like travel again. <laughs> right? I have to go have more experiences. Sure. Because the last year and a half has just been me in coronavirus. Yeah, like, like the rest of the world. Recording this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to the kitchen. Yeah, this, yeah this is <laughs> this week on baggage claim 15 minutes about will going to the grocery store for the first time in a yeah. week <laughs> or inspecting my actual baggage at home That's yeah. it. <laughs> baggage claim got a whole lot more literal <laughs> yeah so two things have since that trailer came out two things have changed one is about to begin incorporating an interview segment onto the show which actually came from i just banter on twitter this one bridget fetisy who is hilarious and unbelievably capable and has no business talking to me she's like way way bigger and more prominent just casually in response to something said like i've got travel stories will i was like all right i kind of want to hear him my show is a super slow burn. And if I can get people telling the story that comes to the gut punch a little faster, let's have a conversation. So we talked. I thought it was a good idea. I reached out to a couple more people. And I'm going to start doing that. That'll probably be a, every Tuesday or something like that. And the idea there is, number one, I don't have any business talking to people. So just like, look, mom, I talked to somebody with a Wikipedia page. It's cool. But also... I like the idea of other people incorporating most stories that people have about travel come from this idea of went somewhere, found myself in a bad position and somebody saved my ass. That is generally the through line. And the learning there is that people tend to be awesome the world over. And people have different versions of that story in different ways. They tell that story in different places and interesting twists on it. Generally speaking, that's the core of the issue. And so I like the idea of getting different voices on that. And the other piece here is that I'm building out a fairly large community through the Authentic Travelers Networks on Facebook and every everywhere else if people want to check that out. But so the idea there is the interview piece will go on indefinitely while I prep for season two of the more formal show. Now I have a platform to come to tell retell that story now. <laughs> yes, I, I, awesome. I was I was going to wrap this up. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about what seems to me a deliberately going about creating a community for mm -hmm. your podcast. And can you talk about what you did early on? I noticed there's like a counter of people that are engaging, and I don't know where that's feeding from. So maybe just might geek out a little bit on the specifics, but I'm curious if that's something you thought about from day one. Like I'm interested in knowing who's listening and how to engage with them and how to build that community and how you went about that. Yeah. When you say counter on the website, what are you looking at? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested in what I've seen on the site and some of the things you've talked about in the clubhouse about how you've been building up the community. And I'm wondering if that was something you consciously thought about as you started the show or that you realized as the show is starting to get popular that you wanted to engage with your audience. Yeah. Yeah. So my background is community building really. So that website, <laughs> heybaggageclaim.com is built on nation builder, which is the company I used to work for. I'm not really a front end developer or programmer or anything, but I'm a power user of the software. So I 
just by having worked there for a long time and having done all sorts of things. And what I found is that the community element of travel is the closest thing that we can get to travel right now. Mm. So communities really are built on three things. One is a belief system, some core central tenant. Mine is that travel makes you a better person by seeing that other people are awesome and helping you step up your own game. And then two is storytelling, which obviously, and then three is people connected. And so there was, from my perspective, there's no way to do two of those things without the other one and be any version of successful. So I launched the Authentic Travelers Facebook group in January. And that group is actually growing quite quickly. It's at like eight or 900 and it's been a month and change. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm happy with that. It's also very, very engaged. I've been pretty deliberate about communicating that we're showing up positively in this space. There's no spam. This is a positive environment. And so from a community standpoint, building it out that way has felt really important to me. My episodes also always have call to actions that are text keywords. So it'll be something like text pod sure, to yeah. 332-877-9540 if anybody listening, you know, wants to. <laughs> but uh, repeat that one more time. <laughs> Sorry, it's uh, 332-877-9540 and uh, pod would be the keyword. Um, is that a function of Nation Builder? Yeah, it's also cool. yeah. yeah, that's always a really good practice as well. So that's cool. Yeah. And it's fun because, you know, people, <laughs> when you start growing an email list and a text list and these various things, you're showing up right next to whatever spam email they just got from the DNC and like marshals and whatever. And so then they'll reply to you and then you reply back to them and it's a conversation. They didn't quite realize that was a thing, like that there was somebody on the other end. <laughs> and that I found really powerful. Somebody texts in, to the thing I call them and they've just heard my voice for however many episodes <laughs> they've listened. And they're like, wait, this is the guy who I just, and I'm not a famous bride. I'm just some dude in an apartment in Montreal. Like I'm not that interesting, but there's something really tactile totally. and cool about that, that piece. So the community elements going well, I've started thinking about sort of building that out to a global network over and above the podcast itself that, you know, when you travel, Google, I want to travel to this place and uh, the results. You get the Wikipedia page, you can get like TripAdvisor and all the deals and everything else. And you're going to get like 10 best beaches in this place from somebody's travel blog. And the idea of showing up in one central place where you can ask questions and build a community and do all these things. But then when you go travel there, oh, on Friday, they're all having a pub crawl together. So I like the idea of mm, sort cool. of building out a network like, like that. that. So that's where I'm going with the community, generally speaking. And then what else have you found that works for you? You've got the group. I love the fact that you're doing the text message. Are there any tools that you've tried or maybe ones that uh, have been successful or maybe something you tried that didn't work? Yeah, I think this is probably... I've listened to four or five episodes of your show in the last week or two, and I would say in all four or five episodes, this particular piece of advice has been given. So I apologize in advance, but anything that has pushed people directly to the podcast, I have no idea what the hell happens. 
so I, I just don't get to understand if I was successful in, in converting that person long term. I can see sort of trend lines, right? But being able to say that I saw Harry looking for podcasts on Twitter and I reached out to Harry and gave him a link and he said he would listen. I don't actually know that Harry ever listened. So what I've focused on doing is leading with the community. So let's have a conversation about bringing you into the baggage claim sort of ecosystem, the the authentic travelers world. And hey, we have this awesome storytelling show sort of as the sort of ultimate like staple of the community is what I've leaned into. So I've sort of replaced or in the process of baggage claim being the meat as opposed to the the lighthouse. That metaphor made no <laughs> sense whatsoever. So probably you know, we'll do whatever. Probably the first time I've heard meat and lighthouse. In the, in the <laughs> meat and lighthouse um, in the same sentence should never happen again. What's fascinating is just what's happening in the creator economy. I listened to, uh, I was a child of the 80s. So I grew up with uh, MTV, Adam Curry. He's otherwise known as the podfather, early super early adopters of podcasting. And they're working on like, testing the limits of what can be done from micropayment perspective. So earlier today I was setting up this node so I could connect my podcast and then receive, if you're using certain podcast apps, micropayments in Satoshi's, which is a micro, a percentage of a Bitcoin. So I think it's like 0.005. So you're just rewarding creators, which I think is fascinating. And it's going to be a trend. And I think as it becomes more and more available, you're going to see it you know, podcasters, musicians, artists, and, there's, and then the stuff that's happening with NFTs is just like weird and boggles my mind. And it's fascinating as well. So I think having the community, I think is really interesting and, and continuing to engage with them. Another tool that I found is bunches, bunches.chat. And what I love is for me, Facebook has been a bit of a challenge because it's a bit of a rabbit hole. And like, you know, when you get in there and there's a bunch of other distractions and it also distracts what I feel is like my community because they're not there to engage with me. So it's literally just a, a new app. I just stumbled on a couple of weeks ago for the listener. If you go to bunches.chat forward slash podcast junkies, all it is, is it's a chat tool. So you can engage immediately. And I'm starting to see a couple of people come in and I see names and you can relate to this, you know, when you see people that just joined the group, I'm looking at it now, Lorraine has joined, Rex Woodbury, like my friend Molly, Derek, like this ability to place names to people that somehow through a collection of like Twitter posts, the podcast itself are like are coming in and you know who they are and you can communicate with them. There's something powerful about that. Yeah. The number in the back of Buzzsprout or whatever you're using is interesting but a human being saying something is really cool. A picture of a guy in a place or, you know, there's something so much more powerful about that. And so anytime somebody emails me or sends a response to the text, there's this woman in New Jersey who like super fans my show. She has no idea that she's one of like six people who's that level sure, sure. of intense. We all know and who I they love are. her yeah. so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Can you share a little tip that I heard about on Clubhouse when, when we were on with Esprit? You were saying, you know, it's very common for people, hey, Twitterlandia, like anyone have any podcast recommendations? And something that you said you do, I thought was really cool. And I, I, I'm going to, I keep saying I'm going to do it, but I just haven't had the time to, but <laughs> I'd love for you to explain what that yeah. is. So yeah, I will say I have weaned off doing it in favor of growing the group for a little bit, but it, it's still very much part of the repertoire. And I found it to be unbelievably successful. So anytime, you know, it's just the default thing, people on Twitter post 
am looking for podcast recommendations. Anybody have anything? And then the, resp- the even if they have like 12 followers, it's a wall of like bots being you listen to our podcast about whatever, whatever, even if they're specific about what they're looking for. And that show is not that at all. People are like, do you want to listen to four guys sitting around drinking beer and talking about whatever? Our show is great for that. The guys like I was looking for like intense psychological, whatever it just goes. It's just very annoying for the recipient. So early on, I had, you know, some not impressive number of listeners and was trying to find ways one person here, one person there. And so I started doing that a little bit, but it felt a little slimy because I was just going into this big wall of stuff. And I, for my podcast, make these little videos, these little 10, 15 second clips from the show that I animate with a little stick figure and he runs around and does all these things. And I found that to be a cool promotional tool. So I started posting that and those got fairly positive responses more positive than just the link to my thing. And then I was like, what if I just made the pitch personally? And so somebody will tweet, Hey, you know, I'm looking for podcast recommendations. And then they will get back a video of me 20, 30 second video being like, Hey, Harry, I heard you're looking for podcasts. That's awesome. I just launched a show. It's a travel story. It's really immersive, interesting, blah, blah, blah. Here's the link. I'm also going to include a little clip from one of the episodes just so you know what you're getting into before. And then I include the clip with the guy running around. And those, like, two out of three times, person's like, you're the best. Even if they don't end up loving the show, it just the success ratio is so high on that. Because it's so human and real and nobody's doing that. It just felt really cool. And so that that's how I met Esprit. It's how I got on Clubhouse. It's how I met you. It's why whoever's listening to this is hearing my voice right now is because I sent one of those to Esprit when she asked for podcast that's recommendations. Funny. What I love <laughs> about that is I talk about this all the time, this idea of doing the things that don't scale. Like that's obviously, you know, as the show gets bigger and bigger, something you could essentially do it. I and mean, you couldn't do it for everyone that's asking because at, at some point there's probably a law of diminishing returns. And now you're at the point where you've right. got what they call like the flywheel in motion. So now like your listeners and your regular listeners are eager to share. So now they become like your marketing army. So, but I just, I think it's, it speaks to this idea of that one-to-one connection that I think when people get started, they're like, how do I get my thousand listeners? And I'm like, well, figure out how to get them. Go find find one one. person and then do it again and again and again. By the way, one hour on Twitter, one hour on Twitter Mm -hmm. was getting me like 20 listeners. And that's completely rounded up there with three to five. But okay, so the average podcast, right? Gets 130, 150 streams in one episode for over the course of 30 days, something like that, depending on who you're asking. And if you do three a day, it, you know, churn over the course of time, but three a day in 30 days, you're getting 90. And then add that on to whatever you do the next month, month after six months, you're looking at like 700 or a thousand mm-hmm. new listeners just from spending one hour yeah. a day on Twitter. And there's some sort of compounding effect because like for every hundred, you've now have like a percentage of those. And I'm just pulling this out, out of my ass right now, but like 1% of those will then also share the show. So almost like a compounding yeah. interest type of thing happening, which is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. You weed out the churn, but then also this funny thing started happening where like, there's a little world of people who are listening to everybody else's podcast recommendations and they see me making these videos on everything. And so then I would miss one 
and like three people would be like, "Will do your little thing." <laughs> yeah, it was so like, cool. it's like it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. Like I'm not doing it for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I like disappoint. So yeah, you just it's kind of funny. Yeah, I've been meaning to try it, and I think it's just finding the right place, right time, and and I just get the mic hooked up and just be like shoot a quick video here. So I'm gonna make time to to do that because I never want to feel like I don't care about like growing listenership and just you know educating people and what the show is about and who's for because it's super meta it's a podcast about podcasting right. so yeah a lot of things we can cover here i feel like there's so many different rabbit holes to go down so we, we, yeah, we might have yeah. to do it on, a, on another episode or in person or better yet the other thing that i've been doing is doing follow-ups now on clubhouse i call them postcast so now when we'll coordinate probably in about a month when the episode is released or sooner We'll schedule and maybe even, you know, ahead of time so that the week your episode's out, you come back on Clubhouse and then we'll like talk and say like, okay, let's finish this conversation. <laughs> you know, just something interesting. I love these new mediums and love testing stuff out. And I just like testing stuff. Oh, like yeah. in the beginning, the reason I have an agency is because I did all this stuff for my own show on day, like when I started, like I edited the show, I wrote the show notes, like I booked the guests, I did the interview, like, you know, I, I grabbed all the socials. I was posting on all the socials every single day. I'm just like, I got t-shirt. I'm actually wearing it today. It's like the podcast junkie shirt. It's yellow. So I would go to podcast conferences. I'd buy 50 and I'd hand them out for free. And people were like, who's the guy handing out t-shirts? <laughs> but then they would wear them. They'd go home and be like, look, wearing my shirt on the way home. So that definitely can relate to that so yeah so many interesting things and i i was i got the sense from the conversation we the brief conversation we had mind you on on clubhouse you just find a i get the sense that this is a, a person who's maybe for lack of a better term an old soul or who just thinks before they speak <laughs> and cares about what they say and, and that's the impression i got and i obviously wasn't disappointed i'm really happy we got the chance to connect and i, I just had a couple more questions as we wrap up What's yeah. something you've changed your mind about recently? I've recently changed my mind about interview shows just to keep it podcast centric about my willingness to do an interview show more specifically. I think part of the fear at the beginning was it's a whole nother learning curve. Now I have to learn how to be, I've spent half the summer learning how to be a voice actor, which is not a thing I ever thought I would do. Now, now I have to figure out how to, hold that space in a way that feels powerful. I'm a little worried about the first couple of conversations, et cetera, et cetera. And so jumping into that is something that feels really new and is something that six months ago, I had sort of a visceral knee jerk reaction against doing. My show is a story. It's a sort of literary journey. What am I going to be talking to some guy who like went to Dubai <laughs> one time? You know what I mean? It just yeah. didn't quite feel... Yeah didn't quite feel right. So that's something I've changed my mind about recently. It's not particularly profound unless you're inside my brain, in which case it feels pretty profound. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? I am really bad at being sad. Hmm. This isn't to say I don't get sad. It's to say that I don't communicate my sadness particularly effectively. And it, I think it sometimes presents like anger hmm. or it presents like, pretending I'm not sad. Mm. Like there's only two levels. And so it sounds like raising my voice. It sounds a little animated, but the experience on the inside is sadness. It's not rage. Yeah, yeah. I know what that feels like too. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. And this feels, and so I just, I wish I was cuter at being sad. I'm just not particularly. 
<laughs> I might have to open the show with that one. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. No, I mean, for me, it's going to therapy has been helpful to kind of unpack that stuff. And, you know, it's helpful for me individually, for my relationship with my new partner. And then one of the questions is just trying to unpack, like, what's the core belief behind that, that I have trouble being sad because when I was younger, you know, it was not accepted or approved of if in the house, like you lost your shit or you got mad or, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. insert family dynamic. And it's, it's funny how some of the stuff presents itself later. And it's just oh, something yeah. that sits there latently and surfaces. You think it's one thing and, you know, with a, a good therapist, you can unpack some interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it definitely all stems from earlier stuff. And I don't know. I, I just don't think any six foot tall white guy gets it looks cute, sad at all. Like that's just one yeah. thing the world is like, those people <laughs> can have like a far away look in their eye. They can do the 40 yard stare thing. Or they can say something eloquent and supportive to somebody else, but them being sad is not adorable. So anyway, that's something I have to figure out. Very cool. Well, really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation. Did not disappoint again. So for the benefit of the listener, what's the best place for folks to learn more about the show and you? Yeah. So if you're on a streaming platform right now, baggage claim, travel stories, no one tells the first line of description. It's just the baggage claim logo, like the one you see at the airport, black and yellow. If you are interested, that number I said before was 332-877-9540, and pod is the keyword. I see the text, so if you start calling me a jerk, that's totally fine, but just know that it's like texting your friend that he's yeah. a jerk. And he will be sad. I, I will be <laughs> sad, and my girlfriend won't find it cute, so you're just going to disappoint a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, those are the two. And then uh, heybaggageclaim.com is actually it's alive and well the way it's supposed to be, but it's about to go through a huge revamp with the authentic travelers community. So I'm super excited for that. That'll definitely, if this episode's coming out in a month, that'll definitely be up by then. So thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me Harry. This is a blast. So thanks again to Will for coming on the show. Always appreciated. Thanks to Esprit Devora, past guest who actually made the introduction when she was hosting a clubhouse room if you are not already a member of our Podcast Junkies Clubhouse room, I'll be sure to provide links for that in the show notes as well. I'm looking to test out some postcast features where I invite past guests on there. So let's connect if we're not already on Clubhouse. And it's at Harry Duran if you're looking for my profile. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 259 in show notes. Show music composed by Cedar and Soil. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear. Specifically, my favorite, the Scarlett 2i2 Pro. Podcast production and marketing provided by the amazing team at Fullcast. That's us. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15. Tune in next week for my conversation with Sue Stockdale. She's the host of the Access to Inspiration podcast. And if you made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with travel will, one word, and tag will at hey will Conway, H-E-U. Y W I L L C O N W A Y and podcast underscore junkies. Thanks again for all you do to support the show, everyone. Talk to you next week.